Slayers, this is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date. So today is May motherfucking 15th, which means it's time to talk about the weight of the world. For real this time. <laughs> Last week I thought I was talking about the weight of the world, and then, oh wait, I need to silence my phone. And then I realized that, no, I was talking about Spiral. Okay, but we got it right this time. So first, let's light some incense, of course. First order of business for any podcast, for those of you that don't have one, is light some incense. <laughs> Every podcaster does that, right? Every podcaster sits in a closet filled with candles and incense whenever they're doing their podcast, right? It's probably a good thing that I don't, that this podcast doesn't go through the summer because I feel like I have to wait until dark to do this podcast <laughs> and it just gets later and later and later. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, putting incense into the holder. Also, okay, I have another ceremonial thing that we get to do today. So because of, I'm assuming pandemic reasons, I have not been able to get two of my very favorite whiskeys during pandemic times. Um, my very, very favorite whiskey of all time is called Buffalo Trace. Um, my friend Jill knows somebody that works in some kind of liquor distributing capacity. I don't even know. She has some kind of connection. She was able to get a bottle of it. So hopefully she said she was going to share with me. So I'm really hoping that she kind of sets aside like at least half the bottle for me. Um, Cause it's my favorite. Um, also I went to the, um, I was out of whiskey because I'm a whiskey girl, girl, as you guys know. So I went to get whiskey today and another of my favorite whiskeys is called Jeremiah Weed Sarsaparilla Whiskey. No, wait, I'm looking at the bottle right now. Jeremiah, Jeremiah Weed, a strangely delicious libation of whiskey and spices, the curious Sarsaparilla Whiskey. I have not had this in maybe closer to like a year and a half, two years, I think. Oh my god, I've never read the back of the bottle. I'm just going to do it, because why not? Ladies and gentlemen, step right up to the world's most entertaining whiskey, a strangely de delicious libation of whiskey and spices, sure to bewilder and amaze, a shot or mixed any way you like it. It's magic in your mouth. <laughs> it's showtime, people. Put down your phones and raise your glass, because friends of Jeremiah Weed are friends indeed. <laughs> So this one's more of like a, a flavored whiskey, a sweeter whiskey. I don't know. It's, it's not an every time whiskey, but since I haven't had it in a very long time and I've looked, 
This one's been out of commission for longer than... I still can't find Buffalo Trace. Hopefully that gets resolved soon, but sorry if that was loud, guys. Just saw the peak thing go up. Okay, so I am pouring myself a shot of sarsaparilla whiskey right now. First time in almost two years. Mmm, smells just like root beer. <laughs> I love the word sarsaparilla. I think the word sarsaparilla casts a spell on me, so it doesn't even really matter what it is because I just love it so much. All right, bottoms up. Here we go. Oh yeah, that is good shit. It just tastes like root beer and whiskey. Okay, so first of all, I just want to take a moment, even though we've taken a couple moments already, but I just want to take a moment and just bask in happiness for a second with you guys. I feel like people really just don't do that enough these days. I feel like people are constantly like talking about everything that sucks about the world. It's almost like people feel guilty being happy because things suck in the world. Well, guess what? Things suck in the world all the time, forever. I think we need to grasp onto any moments of happiness and hold on for dear fucking life because our life actually does depend on it. I really believe that life depends on finding, finding the happy path whenever you can. So I'm going to bask in this moment of happiness. Um, I don't know when it was. I, news is kind of slow to reach me because I intentionally don't pay attention to news because I get really, I drown in negativity when it's around me. I need to work on that. I've been saying I need to work on that for years and I don't really know how to work on it. But anyway. I don't know, I think it was like a couple days ago or something, the CDC came out with like the information that if you are fully vaccinated, you don't have to wear masks in public spaces anymore unless, unless a specific space requires it, you know? So I didn't find out this information until yesterday afternoon. I, I literally found out this information as I was gathering together ingredients to do a ritual slash spell that I was doing in the location of my childhood bedroom, which a week from today will have been destroyed for a decade by a natural disaster. So I was going to that space. Um, I was gathering together all my supplies and going to that space to do a ritual and I Michael sends me like an article from the New York Times like that's that's how I found out so one of the things that I was doing for the spell was I was gathering together I was getting a snack for myself to eat once I was done with the spell um, and I decided because of the nature of the spell I wanted to get like a you know junk food snack that I would have eaten as a teenager because that that played into the spell without going too far into it and so I got a Twix which sucked by the way I think it was just like way way beyond not fresh it was gross 
Plus, you know, usually I eat dark chocolate these days, so maybe I'm just a snob now and I can't do Twix. Don't they make dark chocolate Twix? Anyway, um, so I stopped at a gas station and that was the very first place that I went that I was like, okay, well, I am fully vaccinated. You know, it was like three, four weeks ago, whenever I got my last shot, something like that. So I went into the gas station without a mask on and it's the first public space I've gone into since, you know, it's been over a year. We've been, um, we were closed the library where I work. We were closed for the entire month of April and about half of March last year. And we reopened for like curbside only service last May. So it's been a little over a year since we reopened again in some capacity. Like we didn't actually reopen our doors until later in May or might have even been June whenever we finally like opened to the public again. Um, so, and ever since we came back at the beginning of May last year, we have had to wear masks at work. So I have had a mask on in front of my coworkers for over a year now. And I actually, um, got, um, I've probably mentioned this to you guys before. I, I talk about this kind of shit on my, on Mixtress radio all the time. So sometimes I get confused. Like, what have I said? Like, I think it's completely different people that listen to this podcast versus who listens to Mixtress radio. I mean, there might be some overlap, but, um, so I don't know. I'm sure I've mentioned this, but I, um, both of my front teeth are fake. They're both implants. And, um, because of an accident that happened in second grade, I finally got the process finished and got my final implant installed. The first implant I got like 10 plus years ago at this point, but the second one I didn't get, um, the, it's a whole long process when you're getting an implant. It takes months and months of like healing and cadaver bone and blah, 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 blah. But I finally got my, my new permanent implant tooth installed back in, I think it was September. So it was kind of bittersweet because like, you know, I get this new front tooth. My, my smile looks beautiful for the first time since second grade, like, cause I chipped my teeth. I, you know, like they've looked kind of weird and wrong and mismatched ever since I got the first implant because the other tooth was dying. I didn't know that, but, um, like I see pictures of myself, like before I got the second implant, I'm like, Oh my God, my, my teeth were so jagged and weird. And like, anyway, I haven't really been able to debut my, my beautiful <laughs> smile at work. Um, not that I have such a beautiful smile, but like the fact that like both of my front teeth, they look good. They look great. I actually do feel like, I didn't feel like I wasn't confident smiling before, but like, it just looks so much better now. And I wasn't able, and I was so happy when I finally finally finish that process, you know, cause it's been a long time coming to finally like close the books on this 
trauma that happened in second grade, you know? And as of today, I get to work, my coworker is not wearing a mask and I'm like, what's going on? Do we not have to wear masks? And she's like, yeah, there's an email. So I just like triumphantly ripped the mask off my face. <laughs> and um, our director had just sent us an email saying, you know, telling us about the CDC, saying that if you're fully vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask inside. But if you would like to continue doing so, you can, that kind of thing. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that I work with that are that are going to be nervous and are going to continue to wear a mask. And there were, there were a couple of people that I work with that continued to wear a mask, even though I know for a fact they were vaccinated because some of them were there at the same time getting vaccinated as I was. But, um, yeah, so I think, I feel like that's going to be a little weird. Like, I don't know, are people that decide to continue wearing masks, even though they're fully vaccinated, going to be judging those of us that don't? I don't know. Probably there's a lot of like that kind of chit chatter on Facebook. Thank God I'm not on there anymore. But anyway, I just want to take a moment and steep in the joy of like, I got to take the fucking mask off my face today, guys, at work. And it's been hard. I feeling like, I mean, I know you guys all know, you guys all know you've been there too. We're all in this same world together. Um, it just felt so good to finally take it off. It felt weird though. My face felt naked and I wanted, I wish that, see, I'm not the kind of person that checks my work email from home. If I had been, I would have known this beforehand and I would have worn like a full face of makeup or at least some lipstick for the day that I got to debut my face to the public again. But um, I'll get to do that on Monday. It's fine. Today was just a dress rehearsal. But <laughs> it was just, it was just awesome. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna bask in the joy of that. I didn't have to wear a mask at work anymore. And so like that light at the end of the tunnel of this whole pandemic thing, it just keeps getting closer and closer and closer. Um, and tomorrow, my book club, so I have like a monthly book club. We are named after a particular bar in my town, a local bar. We are called the blah, blah, blah book club. <laughs> I'm not going to like give away where I live, I guess. I don't know why I'm being protective of that, but um, we're named after a local bar. And because we, the idea was that we met at that bar every month. But um, sometimes we meet at other places too, even before the pandemic. But most of the time we meet at that bar and we haven't been able to meet there in like, we tried like once or twice during the pandemic, but everybody got scared. And so we stopped again and went back to, we've like done zoom. We've like met at each other's houses as long as we can be outside, but we just, we have not met indoors unmasked at the at a bar or any other establishment but we get to tomorrow so it's just it's a beautiful thing i got sarsaparilla whiskey i'm gonna get to have a portion of my very fa favorite whiskey of all time hopefully my friend jill is waiting for me to open that bottle i hope so because i just feel like that's going to be a special moment because i have not had buffalo trace in a long time but anyway 
I don't have to wear a mask at work anymore. Like, I just want to take a moment and, you know, be happy about that information <laughs> because I'm a little nervous that like, there's going to be people being like, well, you know, and I don't know, trying to take the excitement of this development away from us. I know somebody at book club is going to start that shit tomorrow. Somebody's going to be like, well, but you know, and I'm just going to shut them the fuck up. I'm going to be like, nope, we get to have this moment. If you want to do the actually thing, wait till next book club. Okay. Let's steep for a second. <laughs> you know? Like, people just don't allow themselves to, like, be happy and, I don't know, celebrate. So I'm here to celebrate with you guys tonight. I hope you're okay with that. Let's talk about the Angel episode, I guess. So, Through the Looking Glass is what it's called. Um, here are my notes. Cordelia is a princess. There's some kind of prophecy um, that she fulfills by having the visions. So they think that she's part of this prophecy. Um, Angel can see his reflection in this universe. I actually think this is, I actually think this plot development is kind of smart how they're like, they're giving Angel sort of all this, like all these little gleeful moments of like, Hey, the sun doesn't affect him in this reality. Hey, um, he can see his own reflection. You know, there, he's kind of basking in his, um, humanness on this planet and then they pull it away from him by like throughout the episode there was a moment where like his his demon face came out and it's just like this spiky green evil whatever and for a while he can't subdue it he like kind of becomes like a flesh-eating zombie almost and I think that was kind of interesting that like this other dimension brings out the human in him, but that sort of like the, di the dichotomy between <clears throat> Angel's demon self, the vampire self and Angel's humanity that he's always trying to regain, um, the dichotomy is harder to control in this universe. So it's like, he was enjoying all the aspects of humanity until the demon got brought out and then he couldn't figure out how to suppress it again um, for a while throughout the episode and I, I think that's actually kind of a smart concept rude I'm trying to have a peaceful evening podcast okay thank you um, <laughs> I did like this moment where gun um, they were talking about the prophecy and Cordelia's a princess and blah, blah, blah. And Gunn's like, she's the Messiah. And Cordelia says, it could happen. <laughs> it could happen. Um, at one point, Lauren says, you want me to talk to my family on purpose? <laughs> we can all relate to that, right? Um, okay, so... There's this stupid word in this episode of Angel called Kamshuk. And of course they make a lot of ridiculous jokes because Kamshuk is basically like, um, Cordelia is supposed to have sex with this Grusalug 
She's supposed to calm shuck the Grusalug. It's it's a whole thing. What is the thing where like Vulcans they go into heat like every seven years on Star Trek? What is that called? It's like that. <laughs> kind of. Um Angel basically says, no wire hangers ever. Angel dearest. <laughs> There was just a moment where, like, somebody took his jacket and they were taking it inside. And he's like, don't put it on a wire hanger. <laughs> no wire hangers ever. Right. Sorry. I just, I had to. Like, my brain was not going to let it go until I did it. Okay. So they're doing research. Wesley and Gunn are doing some kind of research. And there are these three embossed leather books that, like, he is, like, I don't know, he's, like, Wesley's like, okay, I, I get this. It's a certain kind of, like, structure. These books belong together. They can't, they don't make sense without each other. But, like, the sentence structure is pointing to, like, which book you should go to next. So, basically, it's like you read part of a sentence from one book, and then you go to the next, and then you go to the third, and all three need to be together in order to make sense, which I thought was kind of a cool concept. Um, and then they realize that the animals that are embossed on the covers make wolf, ram, and heart. Dun, dun, dun. So for those of you that do not watch Angel, Mom, Wolfram and Hart is the, like, the big lawyer company. What is a lawyer company called? A firm, I think. <laughs> lawyer firm? Law firm. Law firm. Got it, guys. Um, so Wolfram and Hart is the law firm that is, like, the big evil law firm that is, you know, the big evil, the big pervasive evil on Angel. Um, so they keep talking about this Grusalug summoned from the scum pits coming to Kamshuk, Cordelia, the princess. Um, they realize that, like, part of this whole Kamshuk prophecy shit is that when the Kamshuk has taken place, they're going to kill Cordelia. They don't actually say this, but maybe this is, like, they're gonna, is it a divine conception of some kind? I don't know. They don't say anything about that. And of course, this entire episode, it needs to be pointed out. They have Charisma Carpenter in, like, a fucking belly-dancing seductress outfit. She's in, like, a beaded bikini with some harem pants or something and they're super low and poor thing doesn't have any hips she was probably like she was probably like really laying low on the food leading up to this episode i'm assuming she probably got a t spray tan and she was probably really agonizing about how to make her body look absolutely perfect to wear this fucking outfit. There was just so many, like, every time I saw her in that outfit, it was just like, I couldn't stop thinking about, like, what she had to do to get to that point, you know? Like, 
luckily, it seems like nowadays women can be wider body types. But back in, you know, back 20 years ago, like this was all you could be, what Charisma Carpenter looks like. As a woman, this is all you could be. Big boobs, no hips, tan, but white. And um, like she looks gorgeous, of course, but at what cost? I ask you, at what cost? So, okay, whatever. I, I just like, I'm distracted by it. Like seeing women just completely objectified it stands out to me more now than it used to so I think that means we are making some sort of progress of course we have a million miles to go still but I just yeah I don't know what I want to say about that I'm just bringing it up there it is um at, at one point there's like a plot point where Lauren starts singing and everyone's eardrums break on this other planet whatever um Fred Fred is really coming into the picture now guys there is a light at the end of that tunnel at the end of the angel tunnel and it is Fred that light looks like Fred I love her so much Amy Acker she's wonderful so she's living in a cave she takes Angel back to her cave. He saves her from something. And then she takes him, or she goes back to her cave and he follows her. And she tells him, you're not real. Obviously you're not real. Or I'm not real. I don't know. She's, she's a little, she's a little out of it, which makes sense. Cause she's been in this like crazy dimension where she's been called a cow and made to like do slave labor for like five years now. So it makes sense. Sorry. My necklaces are jingling around. I'm wearing three necklaces because you know what? Why not? I refuse to take them off. So just, just so you know what the jingling is in case you were sitting there going, what is that motherfucking jingling? Now you know. The Grusalug shows up and he's actually cute and Cordelia's into him. Um, everyone else thinks he's disgusting because he's a human and all humans in this dimension are called cows and they're disgusting. Whatever. Um... Cordelia is called the transcendent one at one point. So I wrote that down. Fred shows up. So at some point when Angel turns into his demon self while he's fighting off some people to save Fred or something, he turns into his demon self and she helps him. She like puts blood on her hand somehow and she lures him into her cave. I don't know what her plan was, but she lures him back to her cave and he looks at his reflection because he can see his reflection in this universe and he notices that he is a demon. At this point, he's, he's very out of it. Like when he's in his demon form, he's just, he doesn't recognize anyone. He's just sort of a mindless beast, but he sees his reflection and that somehow brings him back to his human self. And then he curls up into a ball and lays on the floor, just like he did whenever he fell from hell in season 
three of Buffy. You remember when he fell from the sky and he was all naked and shit? Just as Buffy was setting down her Clada ring and symbolically moving on from him. Remember that moment? He was basically doing that whole thing again. And um, Fred tries to comfort him. And I think that's where we leave him. Is that where we leave him? I think so. I think he's out of commission right now. I think that she is going to have to, like, pull him back from the brink, you know? Because Angel's going to get... He's so... <laughs> he's a lot. You know, Angel, have you ever just really thought about it? He's a lot. He's... Just being in Angel's presence is emotional labor, you guys. Okay, so Fred's saddled with the emotional labor of Angel right now in a cave. <laughs> um, oh, I wrote, Angel is freaking out, man. <laughs> um, the Grusalug and um, Cordelia are really bonding. He's telling her his life story. Um, she's saying, I'm not really a princess. She's just coming straight with him. She's like, I'm really not, you know? And he's like, she, she said something like, no one else sees me as a princess. And he's like, are they all blind? Can they not just look upon and know that you are a princess? Look upon you and know that you are a princess? <laughs> so I liked that. I wrote that down. Um, yeah, and then the episode ends on a cliffhanger where in, um, at one point during the episode, Cordelia, like, Lorne was brought to her because she's being worshipped as a princess to, like, see what his sentence is because of something. Oh, because he sang and everybody that hurt their ears or whatever. <laughs> and, um... She pardons Lorne in that moment. She's like, I pardon you, I pardon you. And then she, like, whisks him away because she's distracted because she's bonding with the Grusilla because she thinks he's hot. And he's wearing these, like, distractingly bright blue, like, cerulean blue contacts. They're, like, very unnatural. But the cliffhanger at the very end of the episode is that one of the people bring... They're trying to, like, do a power play between... Like, they're trying to let Cordelia know that actually they're in control of this situation. Because she almost escaped at some point during the episode. I didn't even write that down. But Gunn and Wesley were about to get her out, and he captured her again. And so he was just, like, swinging his dick around. And he offered her a platter and pulled, like, the lid off of the platter to reveal Lorne's head. Decapitated head on the platter. And, um, that's where the episode ends. <laughs> okay. So, that episode of Angel. Did it pass the Bechtel test? I wanted to ask myself this question every single time, but I don't think I always remember. No. No. A woman does not talk to a man in this entire episode. I'm not sure there's any... Lorne talks to his mother that is played by a man. I think that's the whole joke is that like, oh, that is his mother. She looks like a man. I think that was supposed to be the joke. But so Lorne talks to his mom. Angel talks to Fred. 
and Cordelia talks to a gaggle of men in different contexts. No women talk to each other in this episode at all. And there are only three. And one of them's played by a man. Okay. So, no, does not pass the Bechtel test. And again, poor gun, only person of color on the entire fucking set of Angel. Poor, what is his name? Something Webb. Oh, shit. I always forget his goddamn name. Because it's like an initial or something. Anyway, poor guy that plays Gun, being the only person of color on the whole fucking set. That sucks. That sucks for him. Okay, let's talk about Buffy, because that's what we're here for. Weight of the world. Okay, I'm just going to take a little, little breather. I think it's kind of warm, so I need to take my hoodie off, maybe put my hair in a braid. You guys don't care. Hold, please. Okay, the minions are all, the episode opens with the minions all rushing around at Glory's apartment, packing up all her shit. Where the fuck are they taking it? I don't know. I mean, isn't she going to, like, go back to her hell dimension? She can't take all that shit with her, can she? I don't know, but they're packing up her shit. And they're fitting her for, like, a ceremonial robe that is this really gorgeous, like, um, flocked red velvet... Like, it almost looks like wallpaper, but it's not. This gorgeous, it's like just gathered in the front. It's kind of like a bell sleeve cape ritual robe thing. I want one. I want one in, I mean, everything. I want everything in purple. <laughs> but, I mean, it's got to be purple. That's my power color. Um, but the dark red is gorgeous, too. And it's like... It's got like these scalloped sleeves and also like the, just all the edges are finished like in a scalloped like gold threading that, of course, everything looks gorgeous on Glory, right? So they're fitting her for that. She's, she's having sort of an emotional moment. Glory is, she's just kind of like, this entire episode is her going through a lot of emotions and, um, the big reveal is that like, she's, she's like going off about all her emotions and she's like, ah, oh, I'm just, I don't want to kill you right now. I don't know what's wrong with me. Like, blah, blah, blah. And, like, I'm just anxious or whatever. I don't know what she's fucking saying in this particular scene, but the big reveal at the end of the scene is that she's like, what do you think? And then it pans over to, um, Dawn all scared and, and gagged it looks like she has like a delicate silk scarf tied around her mouth um and then we go back to buffy who is catatonic as you remember previously on buffy the vampire slayer buffy catatonic so they're all like they've brought her back into like the abandoned gas station or wherever the fuck they were in the last episode and they're talking about like what what do they do do they slap her can they move her Xander says, I am so large with the not knowing whether or not they can move her. And Giles explains that like everything that's happened has just been too much for her. And essentially she's gone into a catatonic state and everybody's like, duh, we can see that. <laughs> um, Spike. Okay. I have to take a second. So he, you know, like kind of yells at her and he slaps her and like, I, 
am okay with that because, you know, up until that point, he was like, she's a slayer. I think she can handle a little jostling, you know? I think in this particular context of Buffy, the vampire slayer, being slapped by a vampire, I think that, I mean, I'm not, like, offended by that. But what I am offended by is that afterwards, Spike says this. I'm willing to wager when all's said and done, Buffy likes it rough. That upset me this time around. Like, I don't think I've ever bristled at that before. Again, I think that is a sign that, you know, what is that fucking word that I always forget? It's not equality. Egalitarian. I think an egalitarian society is something that is much closer to our grasp than it was 20 years ago. And this particular line probably didn't phase us so much 20 years ago. But now I'm willing to wager when all said and done, Buffy likes it rough. Maybe the writers didn't intend for this, but they probably did, actually, for us to see this and go, ooh, no, this is supposed to be another red flag attached to, to our, our lovely little blondie bear, Spike. We're not supposed to like him for Buffy, okay? Just in case you are just now tuning into this Buffy podcast, it's not spoiler-free. Yeah. I haven't actually spoiled anything yet, but just in case I do. So, um, okay, where are we? I, okay. I totally think that it's hot when Willow takes charge. You know, I'm a Slytherin. Willow's a Slytherin. Like, Yes. Whenever, like, Xander and Spike are fighting and Willow says, separate, and then they just, like, they magically, like, get repelled like magnets, like, you know, samesy magnets, isn't it? Like, if it's the north part and the north part of a magnet, that's when, when they repel. Opposites attract with magnets, right? I don't know. It's like the magnets that repel each other, whatever that is. <laughs> I really liked that when she's like, separate. And then she's like, this is what we're going to do. Obviously, all y'all boys in this room ain't got shit to contribute here. So here's what we're going to do. Anya's going to take care of Tara. Xander, you're going to take Giles to the hospital. Spike, you're going to go see if you can find Glory, and I'm going to take care of Buffy. I really liked that. And that was at that exact moment. That's why when my mom said, Willow's MVP, Willow's MVP. And I agree. I'm going to go ahead and put it out there right now. Willow, despite her atrocious outfit in this episode and in last episode, thankfully, I think we're not going to have to see it again. I hope. Surely she's wearing something else in the last episode of the season, right? Um, just shout out to anyone that likes Willow's outfit because I'm sure there are people that do. Please don't take it personally. 
it's okay. Here's what it is. It's the bedazzling on the flannel. It's the combination of choosing to wear a flannel pearl snap shirt that is bedazzled with a turtleneck. The turtleneck and the shirt by themselves, like the shirt still, the flannel still bothers me because of the bedazzling, the studding. It's, I just, I hate the studding. However, I would have the, the flannel matches the pants. The pants are like a rusty sort of a rusty brown corduroy. I love the pants. I love the pants with the turtleneck. I love the pants with the flannel, just not both at the same time. I hate, I, there's just something in me that just recoils at seeing heels with with like casual pants. I don't know. Like that whole, like when people are wearing like frayed jeans with heels, again, if you're into that look, ignore me. This isn't against you. It's just, it's just my brain. I can't deal with certain combinations of things. <laughs> and that doesn't mean that I couldn't deal with you. It's not, it's not you. I promise it's me. But at one point we see that Willow is wearing fucking like five inch heels, like in this sort of apocalyptic situation when your girlfriend has, you know, been brain sucked by a God and your best friend is in a catatonic state and everything is awful. Are you going to be wearing like five inch heels? No, you're not. I could see how you might accidentally pair a turtleneck with a pearl snapped bedazzled flannel but you're not gonna put on heels i'm sorry you're not you're just not <laughs> i have a problem with certain there are a lot of footwear like this might be an autistic thing but there's a lot of footwear that i just can't deal with like most of my footwear most of my shoes are boots like Doc Martin boots. Like I can't deal with the heel. I can't deal with sneakers unless I'm running. Yeah. <laughs> That's my problem. It's me. It's not you. Okay. Let's move on from that. Um, Spike points out after Willow tells everyone what the plan is. But what if we come across Ben? And everybody's like, well, I don't, I don't think we need a doctor right now. And Spike's like, but Ben's glory. And they're all like, what? And there's this hilarious, hilarious scene where Spike has to explain to everybody that Ben is glory and glory is Ben. They're sharing a body somehow. And they all are just like looking at him so confused and they're and he's like, are you all very stoned? How does he say it? Because I think I wrote it down. <clears throat> Is everyone here very stoned? That's what he says. Is everyone here very stoned? Ben is glory. He's a man. She's the beast. Sharing the same form. <laughs> like, um, And they're like, so do we suspect that there's some kind of connection? 
between Ben and Glory? <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. So she's made some kind of magic so that if anyone sees them change, they don't remember. Cool. And they can't hold on to this concept. Okay, so fine. Funny. I like it. Fine. Um, okay, where are we? Um, we're back with Glory and Dawn and one of the minion guys who we've never seen before. He's very tall. He's like the priest minion guy, apparently. And he's like, I must anoint the key. And I really like this where like Glory's like, you really don't. And then she does the Dawn thing. She goes, get out, get out, get out. And there's definitely like, I've never noticed this before, but they are making parallels between Glory and Dawn. Like there's a point where like Glory's like, ever since she has kidnapped Dawn and been in Dawn's presence for long periods of time. Like she's just constantly talking to Dawn. She wants to connect with her. She keeps like, you know, she's, she's going through all this emotional shit and she's trying to sort it out with Dawn. She wants to sort it out with Dawn. She's feeling very human. And at one point she actually says, I'm you. And she finishes it by saying like, you did this to me or whatever. But I think we're supposed to make that sort of subliminal connection. I'm you. So there is sort of some kind of mystical connection, soulmate level. I maybe not soulmate level, but there's some kind of like bond, I guess. Although Dawn doesn't feel it towards Glory, but Glory feels it towards Dawn. I don't know. There's something there. I don't know what it is. Um, I'm going to take a pee break. I'll be right back. I forget that we don't already know. Like, I've just, because, you know, the plot of the end of season five has been a part of my consciousness for, I didn't see it until season six had already aired and it was in reruns. So... You know, the plot of season five has been in my consciousness for for probably around 18 or 19 years, but not longer than that. But anyway, I forget that we didn't know this whole time that, like, Glory reveals to Dawn, we figured out that your blood is the key to the key. And it makes sense that, like, because they didn't know that the key was going to be human, they didn't know that that was going to be the thing that makes sense. But I, f I just, I forget that we didn't already know that. And I'm like, why are they talking about this shit? Like, duh. But like, duh, because I've known this for 19 years, you know? Um, oh my God, I'm so old. <laughs> it just seems so weird to me that like, I graduated in 2001, you guys. I graduated high school in 2001. So um, there's probably going to be a 20-year reunion this year. I wonder if I'll find out about it. I don't have Facebook, so I don't know how they tell people about these things if you're not on Facebook. I don't know. Okay. Um, okay. 
there's this sort of like throwaway moment. So Anya, so they're back at Xander's. It's Anya, Tara, and um, Willow. They're back at Xander's. Oh, and Buffy. And um, Willow's about to like go J-Lo from the cell into Buffy's mind and pull her out of her catatonic catatonic state her catatonic state and she's talking to Anya about like you know taking care of Tara while she's in there and um Anya says it's almost like a throwaway line but I think it's actually pretty significant I'm not even sure if I've ever really processed the fact that Anya says this until today until today Anya says a spell like this could be really dangerous for Buffy and you. And Willow doesn't even respond as if she heard Anya say that. It's almost like the show didn't want to focus on it. But I think this is actually really significant that Anya says this. A spell like this, a spell like this could be really dangerous for Buffy and you. So, like, I don't know if we're meant to think that there are ramifications for this particular spell in the future. I mean, we do get that episode of season six next, next year. My God, we're going to really, really be put through it next year. You think season five is emotional, you guys? You just wait to see the trauma that surfaces in me in season six. <laughs> Woo! Okay. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm curious to see, like, are we going to get, like, little tiny, like, seedlings of a callback to this moment? Like, is there something about this specific spell that comes back? Maybe part of the reason why Buffy was susceptible to that, that demon that makes her think that she's been in a mental hospital and that like all the Slayer stuff is actually a, a schizophrenic delusion. That episode, normal again, that episode fucked me up and it will fuck us all up when we get there. But maybe something about this moment planted the seed for that I don't know I, I, do, I don't know it's just it's I've never even registered Anya saying this until this moment until today um okay so just being that I'm a witch myself um so Willow okay so She's going to go into Buffy's mind. She walks into Xander's room. She brings with her three white pillar candles and she lights one of them on Xander's nightstand. And then she sets down the other two and lights the other two on like some little table that's at the end of Xander's bed. I just want to say that like, if you have three candles that you're lighting for a spell, wouldn't you make a triangle around yourself and Buffy? Like, why would there be two candles right next to you, 
one on the other side of the room, and none next to Buffy. I mean, this is just a total witchy oversight, okay? Like, it wouldn't have taken any extra effort for Willow to set the third candle down somewhere close to where Buffy is to make a nice triangle pattern. Come on. Jeez. That just, for some reason, that really bugged me. Like, she sets down one candle and lights it, and then she sets down the other two candles right the fuck next to each other. Like, come on. Why did you even have three candles? Like, if you had two, I guess I would have gone with that, but... Sheesh. Okay. I made a joke when I, w I was watching this episode on Thursday the for the first time with my mom and my Michael... And so as soon as I made a joke and everyone actually genuinely laughed. So just in case I get a couple of you guys too. So when Willow shows up in Buffy's mind, she first like, you know, realizes that she's there. We see the moment where she has projected into Buffy's mind. <laughs> I say... The mental projection of Willow's digital self is still wearing that outfit. <laughs> and both my mom and my Michael laughed heartily because we're all big Matrix nerds. So, okay. So we're in Buffy's childhood home at this point, and it's very blue, like... I think we're supposed to get an early 80s vibe from this decor, but I really don't get that. Like, I think Buffy was born in 1980, so she's looking like she's around seven, eight. I'm terrible with kid ages. I don't know. I could be wildly off, but so would this be 1987, 1988? I don't know. Something like that. But I just don't, like, again, I'm being too picky, but I just don't get that this shade of blue is really an 80s blue. I don't know. Do you, do you guys want to argue with me? That's fine. I feel like we'd be seeing a lot more mauve if this were an actual 80s moment. Although this is Buffy's mind, so it makes sense that there would be this particular shade of blue is close to Buffy blue and like the walls are all this blue. I, I guess this is, this is Buffy's projection of her childhood home inside of her mind. So I love this shit, by the way. Anytime you have a plot device where we're visiting someone's mind and it is set up like a place, I just think that's the coolest concept ever. That's why I love the cell. Shout out to anyone else that knows about the cell. <laughs> that is a movie from the year 2000 with Vincent D'Onofrio and J-Lo in it. Okay. Um, okay, where are we? Um, then we go back to Spike is at Glory's place. They've moved out. He finds Ben's room. Ben has his own little, like... Guillermo from what we do in the shadows room <laughs> like just like a little room under the stairs kind of situation very sad um 
Willow asks Buffy in her head, Buffy, what are you doing here? Because we see the like eight-year-old Buffy or seven-year-old Buffy or whatever the fuck. She's wearing like a little sunflower dress and she's holding a doll and Willow asks, what are you doing here? And the baby Buffy says, I like it here. Um, then, so we're seeing that this is Buffy's memory of the day that Dawn was brought home from the hospital. So she's a baby. Joyce and her dad bring Dawn in and they're like, hey, here's your new baby sister. We named her Dawn. And Buffy says, I could be the one to look after her sometimes. And of course, very sad very sad because her parents are now divorced. Her dad doesn't ever talk to her anymore. Her mom's dead. In Buffy's mind, Dawn is about to be dead. She feels like the second Glory snatched her away, that was it. That's why she went into the catatonic state. Um, she thinks that this entire family is lost to her completely. Um... We see a little moment where Buffy puts a book on a shelf. Then, so that we're going from different settings, different little moments in Buffy's mind. And we get the moment that Buffy was at the like campfire on her vision quest where the um, Senea, the first slayer, visits her and tells her that death is her gift. We get that moment. We don't see the full scene play out at this point in the episode, but... We, we get like a tiny mo a tiny snapshot of that moment. So we're at the hospital. Giles is done being stitched up or whatever. I don't know. Xander's taking him out of the hospital and he can't get his jacket on. So Xander helps him and asks him how he's doing. Totally legitimate question. And Giles just snaps at him. He's like, he's like, fine until someone asks me a pointless question or something like that. Thankfully, like, Xander doesn't really react to that. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess we don't see Giles in mortal peril very often, so maybe he just, you know, maybe he just doesn't like to acknowledge it and he gets kind of snappy. You know, people, people are like that sometimes. I get it. Um... So Spike shows, shows up at the hospital and says, and he suggests that they go talk to, I don't know if they name this character, but I, in my mind, call him Phil because he reminds me of one of my mom's friends. <laughs> not in a bad way. Like Phil's not evil. I like Phil. I like him a lot, but this guy just sort of like his demeanor and just how he looks not like the tail part, obviously, but he reminds me of my mom's friend, Phil. So I'm going to be re referring to him as Phil. So Spike suggests that they go talk to Phil, which is like the demon guy that he took Dawn to when Dawn wanted to bring back her mom. That guy. He suggests they go talk to him because he might have some answers about like where glory could be or something. I don't know. 
Um, so Spike kind of takes charge in this moment, like, okay, we're going to do this. We'll meet back at the magic box or something. I don't know. Um, so they do that. There's a moment where Spike and Xander are walking down the hall. Oh, because Giles is going to go back to the magic box. Um, and they're going to meet him back there after they go talk to Phil. And Xander, or Spike tells Xander, I didn't find anything at Glory's, except I did find Ben's room. And Xander's like, this whole time Ben has been subletting from Glory? And then we get this hilarious moment where Spike is like, this is going to be worth it. And then he smacks Xander upside the head to like tell him that Ben was Glory. And of course it hurts him too, you know, because of the chip. Okay, where are we? Um, so we're back in Buffy's mind. They're at the like, death is my gift moment. And Willow says to Sinea, the first Slayer, Hey, I know you. You're the first original Slayer who tried killing us all in our dreams. How have you been? <laughs> I just love that. That's awesome. Um, we get the death is your gift moment. And then we switch to Buffy at her house. She is suffocating Dawn with a pillow. Um, very upsetting. And then we go back to Glory versus Dawn. And this whole episode, Glory is just sort of like, she's sorting out how to feel about feelings. The I think this is also kind of smart, how like the, the veil or whatever between Ben and Glory is fading, which means that Ben is more susceptible to being corrupted by Glory and Glory is more susceptible to having empathy and feelings and a soul like Ben does. So this whole episode, Glory's just kind of reeling from her feelings and reeling from her feelings. And I really like when she says, when she's talking about like, emotions and different stuff and she's like feelings and feelings hate them and I just I relate to that I really relate to that same glory same feelings hate them me too me too every time I have them I'm like no I don't like you <laughs> um and then she says, all I see is six billion lunatics looking for the fastest ride out. Uh, she says a lot of stuff in the scene that like, I don't know, just resonate with me. She's talking about how, you know, how she's asking Dawn genuinely. She really wants to know, like, how do you do it? How do humans do it? How do they just live every day with all this bile running through them of having no control? You're, you're just like jerked around by your feelings and you... Like, how do you live like this? And honestly, I want to know the answer to that question too. Um, and then she says to Dawn, name one person who can take it here. Of course, that's the perfect transition into Dawn, into the next scene where Dawn's like, Buffy, Buffy can handle it here. And then of course we get Buffy catatonic in the next scene. And we're back into like watching Buffy suffocate her sister. And 
just wanted to point out, we do see a tiny, tiny hint of Sarah Michelle Gellar's lower back tattoo. I don't know what kind of lower back tattoo she has, but we do see a tiny hint of it, of it in the scene. Um, I don't know why I wanted to point that out. I just feel like with this kind of shit, why can't they just put it into the plot? Why can't there have been a day where Buffy, the character, just like was going through something and decided to go get a tattoo and so we know that Buffy the character has a tattoo because I feel like we would know if Buffy the character got a tattoo so this little slip of seeing Sarah Michelle Gellar's lower back tattoo just takes you out of the fantasy for a second you know what I'm saying I am a person that has a lot of tattoos I have nothing against that I just think they should have put it into the plot that's all I'm saying um, we get Glory. Okay. So we go back to Glory versus Dawn. Glory changes into Ben and Ben tries to help Dawn escape. Then we get, okay. So we're back to Xander and Spike are at Phil's house and he gets all defensive we find out that he were also worships the beast he tries to f throw like a a box that has information that they need into the fire spike gets it out of the fire xander stabs phil in the chest with a giant sword and they think he's dead and they leave and his eyes open after they leave he's obviously not dead but that's all we see of him we just know that he's not dead um where are we they're like in an alley or something ben and dawn and ben hits dawn over the head with like some chains that are just in the alley sure why not and as soon as she does that it like jolts ben back into glory so dawn i don't know if that was the right choice in that moment i just don't know if it was then we get this big been in glory argument because they're constantly switching back and forth and sorry to say but claire kramer as glory is a better actor than whoever plays ben because she is just bringing it every single moment every single micro expression she is bringing it that is why i think i can pretty much confidently say that Glory is my favorite big bad. I've probably said that before, but I have no memory. So every time I say it, it's like I'm realizing it for the first time. <laughs> Glory calls Ben a sanctimonious little meat worm. I love it. I love everything about Glory. I just, I'm already missing her and she's not even gone yet. At one point she starts bargaining with Ben, like, trying to get him to come over to her side as they're having this big argument and she's like baby 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 Ben <laughs> which I loved because it reminded me of like um eternal sunshine and the spotless mind whenever she whenever um Kate Winslet's character says to that character that's named Patrick she just says, Patrick, baby boy. <laughs> I don't know why. I just love that. 
Um, okay. She starts bargaining with Ben and she's like, look, I could like you a lot if you let me have the girl. Um, let me bleed her. I will make a space for you. I will make you immortal. I'll set you up real nice. And all these emotions, all this guilt, all this crazy making pain, it'll all melt away like ice cream. And I just really identified with that. I don't know if I, as Ben, would make the right choice here. I'm pretty sure I would also go to the dark side in this moment. If Glory were promising me immortality and no longer having to feel shitty feelings, just being happy and immortal, and all you have to do is sacrifice the life of some sniveling little 14-year-old girl, <clears throat> I think I would do it. I think I would do it. I think I would make the wrong choice. I think I would make the evil choice. I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I'm a hero, but I doubt it. So, I mean, of course we hate Ben and we're not going to be sad when he dies in the next episode, but I don't know. I get it. I am being wooed by glory in this moment. <laughs> She's like, oh, when she says like, like that all the bad emotions are going to melt away like ice cream. I'm like, yes, please. I'll take that. How do I, how do I get that? <laughs> okay. Um, then I just wrote Ben has gone to the dark side because he grabs, he switches back. So it switches back into Ben. He grabs Dawn and like yanks her away. And I think that's the last time we see Ben, Glory, and Dawn in this episode. Perhaps. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I think it is. Because then we get to... So we're back in Buffy's mind with Willow. And we get that moment where Buffy is putting a book on a shelf in the magic box. And we've seen that moment several times when we're inside Buffy's headspace. And Willow finally says, what is this? Why do you keep bringing me back here? What is this moment? I know it's something small, but what's going on here? And she gets Buffy to tell her what's going on here. And this is, I think, the most brilliant aspect of Buffy's mind. Like, I think it's pretty easy to interpret all the other things. Like, she keeps flashing back to the moment where she was told death is her gift. She keeps going to this moment where she is suffocating Dawn. Um, she keeps going to the moment where Dawn was brought home from the hospital when she was a kid. It makes sense that her mind would be going to these moments, memories and things that aren't memories in, in the aspect of her suffocating Dawn. But she's integrating that into her as if it's a memory. Like, all of that makes sense. I think they were pretty smart with all of this stuff. All that stuff is readily available. But this little moment of her putting a book on a shelf is the thing that needs to be explained. So Buffy says, this is where, where I gave up in this moment where she was setting a book down on a shelf. It was like, she had this moment where she knew that she wasn't going to beat glory. So it was kind of like halfway, like just regular human anxiety 
and actual slayer intuition. She knew in that moment she wasn't going to beat Glory. And she's not going to beat Glory, ultimately. In that moment, she knew. And she thought, well, that's going to really suck. You know, Dawn will be gone and I'll be very sad and everyone will be very sad for me. And then I'll move on and it'll be over. And for a second, she thought, okay. And she accepted that inevitability. And so she's feeling incredibly guilty about that moment. And I think that this is just, this is the most powerful part of this entire episode. The fact that they thought to show her doing something completely mundane and her, the actual interiority of Buffy's mind in that moment was her completely giving up on her sister and how guilty she would feel for having that thought. I don't know. This is just so, that's just so powerful to me. Like, I love that this is in this episode. This is like, if moments of an episode got MVP, it would be this one. And I, I even love how Willow reacts to it. She's just like, at certain moments while Willow is in Buffy's headspace, you can see her kind of being drawn in by Buffy's emotions. You know, like when Dawn comes home from the hospital, you can see Willow just sort of like being captured by joy at seeing this moment and blah, blah, blah. And you can see her kind of not, it's not super obvious, but you can see her kind of being sucked into the emotions of Buffy in different moments. If this were like a feature movie length <laughs> thing, if this episode were a movie, we probably would have explored more of like being worried that Willow might lose herself in Buffy's mind. We don't really get that being driven home, but I think there's the thread of that. Um, we do see moments where she's getting sucked into Buffy's emotions, but at this point she's like, dude, I'm done with this shit. She's like, okay, Buffy, you gave up for a second. Big fucking deal. You've had the weight of the world. <laughs> Take a shot. Um, on your shoulders since you were 15. Like it makes sense that you'd want to give up for a second. Big deal. We need you. I'm out of here. And Buffy's like, where are you going? And she's like, where you're needed. And Willow walks out of the room, back into the real world, and Buffy follows her. And then we see that scene where, like, Willow wakes up from the catatonic state and Buffy follows her right after. And she just sort of, like, shakes her head. And then she just loses it and starts crying and Willow just goes and holds her. And that's so sweet. It is so sweet. This show more often than not wants to tell us that Willow and Buffy are close, but they don't show us very often. But this is one moment where they actually show us the friendship between Buffy and Willow. Willow went into Buffy's goddamn psyche and pulled her out of a psychological trauma 
fit catatonic moment. She pulled her back from the brink. She did it. She got her back. And despite the implications of like Anya saying this could be very dangerous and the fact that Willow's foray into magic is already like being a little bit problematic and self-serving in a lot of ways, this is a point where that is not the case. Willow did what needed to be done in this moment and pretty damn cool. Like Willow is a very underserved character in a lot of ways. Like, I mean, I like that they give her sort of this druggy, this sort of junky storyline next season. Like, I like that they take it in that direction. But ultimately, I feel like Buffy as a show could have been served much better by individual characters getting more time. Like, Buffy gets all the development most of the time. And we do get character development from other characters to a certain extent, but we really don't get... You know, whereas, like, now a lot of TV shows will spend actual time on other characters. They will develop other characters fully, and it doesn't... I mean, I know the show is called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but we could have gotten a better arc for Willow overall. And this is a glimpse into, like, Willow really is the MVP of this episode. Like, her being able to do this kind of thing is... And her... At the point of, can you imagine, like, your person, your number one person in this world, has just had her brain sucked out of her by a god, and you're able to compartmentalize that in order to go into your best friend's mind and pull her out of a psychological trauma, like, applause to Willow. Like, mad props. Mad props to Willow in this episode. Okay. Okay. Then we get, um, we're back at the magic box. Everybody's together now. Um, we get a minty mug sighting. Giles is drinking his minty mug and the episode ends with a little bit of exposition from Giles. He, he has analyzed whatever was in that box that they recovered from Phil's house and he sits down and he says, okay, there's going to be a ritual bloodletting. That's how she's going to open the portal in between the dimensions. Um, if the blood starts flowing and the and the dimension opens the key, whatever, opens the dimensions, the portal, whatever, then the only way to stop it is to kill Dawn. And that's where the episode ends. So there we are. Let us rate the episode. So, I already told you that MVP is Willow, um, quote of the episode. There were so many good ones. I don't know. What is the quote of the episode? I kind of 
want to give it to Xander when he says, when they're talking about, should we move her? Was it dangerous to move her because she's catatonic or whatever? And Xander's like, I am so large with the not knowing. I, I like that. Just, yeah, I like that. Okay. Um, object of the episode. Hmm. I mean, I'm going to, this is kind of like a cheat because I think outfit of the episode is going to go to the same thing, but outfit of the episode is going to be the robe that Glory and Ben wear because they both look great in it. They both look hot. They both look like they're ready for a ritual. A ritual. <laughs> Mad wedge. Um, so I like their robes. I'm going to, that's going to be the outfit of the episode is going to be Ben slash Glory's robe. And then it's also going to be my object of the episode. Although I don't really want a red and gold robe. I just want my own version of it. Like when I pull it through the portal of fantasy land of Buffy verse into my own life, I want it to transform as I'm pulling it through the veil <laughs> to like a beautiful, rich, dark purple or emerald green, either way, you know, dealer's choice on that. And then I want the like metallic threading to be sort of like a, um, just silver. Silver is fine. Silver is good. I like silver. Um, yeah, I want that cloak slash robe. I want that ritual robe. I will, it needs to be lined in satin though. I feel like it wasn't lined in satin, but I think it needs to be. Okay. So object outfit quote MVP. So five by five. What are our five by five ratings for this episode? Um, let's just, you know, take a little side road of representation. There's like no people of color ever, ever on Buffy. I don't think we saw a single one in this entire episode, unless one of the like minions underneath all of the makeup is a person of color. That is possible, but not probable. Like, that is something that I don't bring up often because I'm a white girl and I don't naturally think of it very often, but black lives matter, brown lives matter, people of color matter, and they are not represented on this show. Not today and not ever, unfortunately. That needs, I need to bring it up more and I don't, and I'm sorry, but that fucking sucks. As far as other representation, like we get, you know, we get some feminism in this episode. Not really feminism. I mean, it passes the Bechdel test because we get Willow talking to Buffy about Buffy and we get Glory talking to Dawn about Glory's feelings and her wishing not to have feelings. Um, so yeah, whatever. I don't really have anything to say about that. But as far as enjoyability of this episode, like just out of five, what do we got? It's good. It perfectly services the plot or advances the plot. It's 
funny in places. It's it's good. I really like all the sort of like existential shit um, that Glory's going through. I really like, you know, like the concept of visiting someone's mind and seeing all their psychological bullshit manifest in physical ways inside of their mind. Just that entire concept I'm here for 100% forever. Um, so yeah, I'd give it like a 3.5. I like this episode. It's good shit. Let's all take a couple of deep breaths to prepare ourselves for next week. It is going to be a day, I can tell you. It will be the 10 year anniversary of the day that a gigantic tornado destroyed most of my hometown, including my house and my childhood home and my sister's house and mostly my grandparents' house. It was devastating. So it will be the 10 year anniversary a week from today and we have to watch Buffy die a week from today. So it's going to be an emotional day. <laughs> so um, I will see you then, children. Thanks for listening. Bye!